Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. So, Alex, welcome to CTO Confessions. It's great to have you on board, sir. Thank you. Glad to be here. Excellent. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. What do you do and who do you work for? Hi, I'm Alex Bazin. I'm Chief Technology Officer at Lewis Silken LLP. We're a mid-sized city law firm, probably best known for our work in employment, but also uh, in the creators, makers and innovators space, doing brand licensing, IP, patents, trademarks based in predominantly in the UK, but also with offices in the Republic of Ireland and in Hong Kong. Wow. Yeah. So uh, quite a large company and quite global from what I could tell from your from your website. Growing our global presence. And we're about 500 people now. So uh, again, growing quickly, uh, which is great news, although always a bit of a, a challenge with IT growing, growing at pace. Brilliant. So before we kind of jump into what you, what the company does, what the firm does, actually, I have to correct myself there because we had a good conversation around this, Alex. What has your journey been like as a tech leader? Because I noticed that we've worked in the same place in the past as well. Indeed, we have. So uh, I was always going to be a, an engineer growing up. I wasn't, you know, as a, a child, not quite sure which kind of engineer, but, you know, fairly, fairly standard undergraduate in electronics. Uh, decided I didn't want to particularly stop being a student for a while, so did a, an engineering doctorate at Southampton, which was a really good blend because I, I was really interested in the you know, in academia, but also really wanted some real world experience. And the NGD, which was based at a small software consultancy, looking at machine learning as we called it then, computer vision, what what we'd now or I'd now try and say was AI. Uh, we sort of blended the two. So I was, I was based part-time in, in, in a consultancy and, and part-time at, at the university. Finished that, went and, uh, and worked for National Physical Laboratory in, in West London for, for a while, and then joined Fujitsu and, and really joined to look after their biometrics practice. That was at the growth of biometrics, so the, the use of technology to recognize people by face, fingerprint, uh, iris, et cetera. That was really at the early days of, of that field as governments were all piling in to try and start using that in things like border control and, and visas and, and police and law enforcement. So did that for a while, um, got to a point where it was sort of find and replace country name on bid documents and started looking for what's the next new thing. And I was lucky enough at that point to really take on my first sort of leadership role in Fujitsu. I was chief technology officer for uh, the global applications business. And, you know, from there for a number of years, just going through what was new and, and being able to really work with clients, but work with the engineers across the business to, as I used to say, BVP of buzzwords, you know, whatever was new and exciting, <laughs> I would go and go and talk to clients about and try and implement and experiment with. So, so that was, that was great. And I, I was there for, for a number of years. My most recent part of, of that journey was 
I started getting to a point where I loved the client engagement. I loved the new technologies, but what frustrated me was I never saw something end to end as, as you don't when you're on the supplier side of technology. And so I, I really wanted to pivot my career to go client side, to be able to sort of be there when a project was started and actually have the, the headache of, of running it into production long-term. And so I spent some time at Deutsche Post DHL, working uh, with one of their startup businesses, trying to transform the way that agency labor worked and, and also help them with business venturing. That ran into the pandemic. I moved uh, briefly back to consulting with WNS, which was you know, a great opportunity to, to work across business, business management and business operations, uh, doing digital consulting for a number of players. And then most recently in Lewis Silken as, as their first chief technology officer. Wow, fantastic. And that's an interesting point because you've landed into this unique market. I mean, I, I don't necessarily see a CTO within a law firm. What does a tech leader do within the law firm? I think for, for me, it's, it's, it's very interesting coming in as being the first of something. And that's, you know, CTOs are, I've got many, you know, peers across the, the legal industry who are CTOs and CIOs in, in many law firms. But I think for Lewis Silken, it's mark of the growth of the business. The, as my boss likes to say, we're going from being a big, small firm to a, to a small, big firm. And part of that is about maturing our, our organization. I think we also have recognized that the law is more and more tech enabled. Our clients are very tech savvy. A lot of them are tech businesses and they expect to be able to engage with their lawyers using technology not just picking up a phone or sending a fax as some people still somehow manage to do uh, <laughs> but but actually you know they want to be able to have client portals and be able to see what you know what we're doing day to day and where we are with with their matters we've also you know there are a lot of new entrants into the legal sector there's a lot of startups in that kind of law tech space mm. some of whom are providing advice to clients as through technology, some of whom are technologies that are underpinning the standard work that legal professionals do do day to day. And so there's a real focus on how does technology get used to make our work more efficient, more attractive to our clients, speed up the time to value for, for the work we do. Brilliant. Love it. And I was going to ask the question, I don't know if you already answered it, but what's the problem that the company, your company you're working for at the moment is solving the market? Is that like a, a headline thing that you are solving there? Well, we talk about ideas, people and possibilities. So we, we like to be a place where we partner with our, our clients to help them solve their people needs. We partner with our clients to help them unlock the possibilities of their business. And we, and we partner with clients to help them with their ideas, you know, anything to do with intellectual property. That's changing slightly through the use of technology. So a couple of years ago, we launched a, a brand called Rock Copper named after the penguin, uh, <laughs> where we we provide a subscription HR law service to principally small to medium-sized businesses. So these might be businesses who aren't quite big enough to need a full-time HR professional, certainly not big enough to need a full-time general counsel, but have HR needs. They might just need 
a bit of advice on what would a reasonable you know reasonable adjustment be under the disability discrimination act or can i get you know a best practice contract template or somebody's leaving here's some questions i have about non-disclosure agreements or or about restrictive covenants and so we provide that in a very different way Mm. to the way that maybe a bigger client of ours might engage with us on kind of an ongoing basis this is more kind of knowledge bases and and small pieces of, of advice and you know we can take stuff right the way through we we do do employment tribunal matters for our, for our clients as well but it's a it's a more predictable way of engaging with us for smaller businesses Fantastic. I love that. Saving money and enabling businesses to to have exactly what they kind of need. Brilliant. And so coming now back onto yourself, you as a tech leader, what's the thing that makes you jump out of bed in the morning, Alex, and go, you know, I've got this. Solving users' problems is the bit that I find the most exciting about my job. Seeing a business problem that one of my colleagues brings to me and being able to put together a team and help solve that is the reason you know it's the reason i um i became an engineer it's the reason i continue to be a technologist so so that's what really excites me what i love particularly about the role i'm in now is the ability to blend that with actually helping a firm grow so that's probably where where what motivates me the most and in your industry, how do you get the kind of feedback? Are there ways in which you kind of see the problems that you can solve and then deliver the technology to kind of make that easier? I always start with asking questions. So going to our, our lawyers, to our paralegals, to our secretaries, to, to our business services heads, ask them what the problems are. Mm. What I've found throughout my career is that as techies, we tend to be a bit technology led. Yeah. Um, I try, I, I, you know, I have, I have that temptation as well, but I try and avoid it. And so when someone comes to me with a idea that starts, we should implement this product. I always try and go back to what's the problem we're trying to solve. And I know, you know, there was that, that great quote from, um, from the first head of government digital service about, you know, what's the user need. So that's starting with, well, what's the business problem rather than starting with the kind of tech led, oh, here's a new shiny toy we can use. That's how I tend to approach this is, is trying to understand the business need, then understanding what the sets of, you know, products and services that are out in the market that we might be able to use, or do we need to go and build something ourselves? How do we operationalize that? What's the business model behind this? Because I think that's another really interesting topic in particularly in the legal services industry, although I think it's kind of in that professional services industry more generally. Once upon a time, we could say to our clients, well, our fee is however many hundred pounds an hour, and we think it will take about this many hours, and we'll bill you as we go. And that's, you know, that's the, the model that lots of accountancies used to use. That's the model that lots of consulting organizations used to use. And until very recently, it's been the, the model that legal services providers have used. These days, it's much more about fixed fee, contingency fee, or subscription services. And so being able to think about, well, if we can change the way that the technology allows us to do the work, 
can we change the way that we price for the work and be more aligned to our clients' interests and to value-based pricing? It's, it's something that's going through the minds of pretty much every law firm, I think, at the moment is how, how is the market changing? How are the commercial models for the market changing? And how does technology help, help with that? Yeah, brilliant. And not being in the kind of legal arena myself, are there quite a lot of innovations on that front happening? There's, there's a huge amount of innovation. I mean, there's this whole world of what they term law tech, which is going on. And London is quite a centre for law tech. There's a lot of new technology startups, huge amount of consolidation in the industry as well. There's, there's three or four big uh, legal technology players who are running around gobbling up all of these really interesting startups. Cool. The obvious big one and the big buzzword on everyone's mind is AI. Um, so there's so much of a lawyer's daily work is analyzing vast amounts of data. And so there's quite, or analyzing vast amounts of data and then putting together very structured documents for our clients. And there's quite a lot of work that technology can do to take the burden off lawyers. Um, so there's tools such as contract automation, which might say, well, I'm writing yet another non-disclosure agreement. Here are the standard terms. I can use a, a form to complete, like, this is the client. This is the kind of you know information they're trying to protect. Here's some other relevant bits of information. Give that to something that's an AI-enabled engine, and it can put together the standard NDA for me to review. Yeah. You can even go further than that. So... If you're doing more complex corporate transactions, you might say, well, the bank who is my client, I know that they like these particular kinds of terms in their loan agreements. And so when the computer sees or the system sees that I'm writing a loan agreement for this client and for this counterparty, it knows, well, I need to put those terms in. I need to not put those terms in. I'll structure it this way. And then it gives that back to, to the fee earner to be able to review rather than have to draft it from scratch and make sure they've caught all the square brackets that they need to uh, need to complete. I love it. It's, it's uh, augmenting the expert, assisting them in, along the way kind of thing. Absolutely. And what we're starting to see is, is that on the input side as well. So if you're doing, again, a corporate deal where you might be getting hundreds of documents from a client to review and to share with counterparties. Traditionally, what someone would do is we'd have lots of asso junior associates reading through all of that and pulling out the, the important information and building up chronologies and all sorts of things. Now what you're doing is actually the computer can do the first pass on that and then pass that to a paralegal or to an associate to review and check that link's right. Uh, a friend of mine works for, for one of the big engineering consultancies, and he was saying that he was using that kind of AI tool to go through thousands of contracts for a major piece of engineering work, sort of national infrastructure somewhere, and make sure that all of the proper commercial flowdowns had gone through into all of the subcontracts. And you know, these are thousands of documents that are hundreds of pages each. And historically, you either would have trusted that someone got that all right, or you would have had somebody review that and hope that they spotted it all. And so 
there, there's a huge amount of automation that's coming that's people fear for fear about automation but actually takes away a lot of the drudgery of of the experience of of more junior staff yeah and unlocks the opportunity for them to focus on more valuable work that's great i it reminds me of uh, back to my software and electronic engineering days as well requirements capture be able to kind of map requirements or requirements as they kind of cascade down into the more detailed areas. I just can just imagine from a legal perspective, if something changes in the, the headline contract, it's going to all cascade down in a kind of nice, beautiful water flow in a way. And this helps immensely. Yeah. And and not spending hours of somebody's time doing cross-reference yes. and just letting the software do that. So there's the whole use of, use of AI around some of those spaces is is very interesting. Same with robotic process automation. So a lot of tra- you know a lot of transactional work is quite routine. It follows a workflow. Mm. Can start automating some of that workflow to make sure things don't fall through the gaps. Through the pandemic, e-signatures were were a big thing. Turn, turns out that. Uh, Necessity is the mother of all invention. Yes, and, that's right. You know, e-signatures finally pushed out across uh, across the legal industry. We were amongst those who pushed pushed that out through the pandemic, and I can't see we'd we'd ever go back. It's all very odd having to kind of post bits of paper to people to mm-hmm. scribble on. So we that's been a, a big chunk of of the deployment. And the other piece, maybe not new for a lot of our listeners, but just using using portals to interact with clients so rather than clients phoning us up and emailing us being able to do client onboarding being able to do client interactions through the web so that if you're a general counsel at a, you know a big firm where you have lots of divisions putting requests into your outside counsel you have visibility of all of that stuff you know what's going on mm-hmm. you don't sort of hear belatedly that oh we're acting on three different things that all sort of um would be relevant across the business so much more visibility and transparency for our clients is a, is another kind of piece of work that i'm not alone in the legal industry in doing that but i'm hearing you know more and more clients are expecting greater visibility and, and that's something we're we're working to provide excellent it's a great uh, look under the covers actually in the kind of legal world because you don't always appreciate uh, we only see the surface so alex i'm really interested in how you roll as a leader what's your style and what's worked for you and interestingly what hasn't worked for you in the past so my style as a leader is i i very much try to hire good people who know more about the subject than i do trust them to get on with it give them the space to deliver check in regularly provide lots of support but i'm not a micromanager i don't kind of tell people how to do their roles which i think works very well for me having led fairly senior teams for quite a long while it's much more difficult when i'm leading kind of very junior transactional teams where they need a lot more handholding and a lot more sort of direct advice and guidance. That's kind of not the uh, not the space I play in as much. And any kind of communication tips, especially in the kind of world that we live in, where we're a bit more remote, we're not all in the office. Any kind of tips around creating that alignment and getting the communication up? I think you can't under communicate. So checking in regularly, talking to people. Nice thing is that everyone's always 
communicable with in many, many different channels, be those Teams channels or voice or email. One thing that, again, I, I stole from a colleague a, a very long time ago is if you see an email chain that's gone on for more than three or four emails, get everyone on the phone, have a conversation about mm. it. So intervening early to try and identify areas of non-alignment and understanding where those are coming from. Regularly giving open feedback, asking for feedback. I'm probably not as good at that as I should be, uh, but I do I do try. I had a, a great product uh, owner who worked for me who was always very keen to give me feedback. <laughs> and, and I actually I probably grew more as a leader through her working for me than anything else in, in that role. So that kind of communication I, I think leadership is about communication and and the more of that you do uh, the better so alex as we come towards the closing arc of our time together unfortunately i've got some really nice warm questions to ask you what advice would you give to aspiring tech leaders that are listening to this podcast to help them maybe accelerate their journey towards tech leadership i'd say first and foremost always volunteer for everything trying to get involved in as many things as possible is valuable in becoming a leader. And we talked a bit earlier about kind of being a jack of all trades and having to be, have that breadth of knowledge. Mm -hmm. I think I benefited a huge amount in my early career by being the biometrics kid and being kind of a, a standout expert in one really narrow field, which, which made me very visible in the organization. Um, but then as I grew and, and became more senior, actually having that breadth, I, you know, I would have topped out as being the biometrics kid at some point, but then growing, growing uh, and broadening my expertise really helped me there. So volunteer, get known for something early, but then broaden your experience as, as you move up the, uh, the leadership ladder. Excellent. Nice, simple steps there. I like that. Go tall, go wide. Brilliant. And any books or talks or anything really that have kind of helped you in your leadership journey? There are two books that I, I always recommend. One of those from a, a kind of leadership and coaching point of view, Radical Candor by Kim Scott is brilliant. Yes. Wonderful book, lots of really good actionable insights. It's something I read on holiday three or four years ago and wish I'd read 10 years before that. The other book, and this isn't a leadership book, but is technically wrong, uh, which talks about the effect technology has on society and all of the hidden biases and other things that we as techies often forget about and is a wonderful, wonderful book, if somewhat depressing. Uh, also in that vein, for anyone who hasn't read it, uh, Weapons of Math Destruction by Cathy O'Neill covers similar ground, but with a, a more of a mathematical and, and technical bent there. So those those are three uh, three quick books to uh, well worth reading. Uh, thank you for sharing those. I've read The Radical Candor and it is a really good book. So it reminded me, you may want to go and read that again. And it is one of those which you, you wish you'd visited much early on in your kind of life journey. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And as a final kind of key takeaway that you want to leave our audience out there, so the men and women tech leaders out there, what would you offer them as a key takeaway gift? Focus on the business need. Nice. Not new. It's, it's, it's not you know, the, the most profound thing, but actually 
when we're inundated by, oh, let's look at this new protocol and this new technology and, and this new magic fairy dust, actually starting from what's the business problem and then having the breadth of technical knowledge to be able to say, right, which of these 17 exciting shiny tools can we apply to that problem is where technology leaders add real value. Brilliant. That's a great note to finish on, Alex, and I totally agree with you. So thank you for your time. It's been great having you on CTO Confessions. Thank you very much. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Lab services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.